Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my uh, recovering slowly executive producer, Cameron McCoy. So we had a bike accident. We were worried that we were going to miss two weeks, but Cameron pulled himself out of the hospital bed, said, not on my watch. Right. I mean, the the level of fear I had of not attending this podcast, I mean, like, what repercussions would happen from you? I mean, like, it, like, I, listeners, I live in fear, okay? Cameron, don't, don't sell them on that. It's, <laughs> it's because you, as the kids say, you've got that dog in you. You don't quit, okay? <laughs> uh, if I say flu game to you, does that mean anything? flu game no i don't know what this means so that is the the game in which michael jordan had the flu and still scored like 60 points uh, okay yes i am familiar the with idea that, yeah. the idea is that when you're not well if you're truly great the clutch gene will kick in and majestically magically you'll overcome all the odds um you know insert patrick mahomes here mm-hmm. multiple times mm-hmm. but jordan is really the the genesis of that right mm-hmm. um Anyway, um, so Cameron, a couple things. We are going to talk about standard. We're going to talk a little bit about some cards that from Middle Earth that might actually see modern play, question mark. <laughs> um, I've spared you talking to me about the Ted Lasso finale because I know you were deeply wanting to discuss it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, I'm pretty sure you and I have not talked about the Apple presentation. We so I'm really interested yeah. to hear your thoughts on all that. But um, what have you been playing this week, man? Yeah. Uh, so I've been playing some Explorer. Um, there's nothing new to report with that. Um, Black Red seems to be pretty good. Blue White Control seems to be on the rise. Uh, but with standard, new standard out, I guess, you know, it is completely different. I was not expecting Mono Red to be as dominant not maybe not even dominant but just as present as i'm seeing it currently Same. on um arena and maybe that's just because of the choice of deck that i'm playing which is this blue white control list that's running um the teferi um five mana teferi i don't remember what he's called uh the wandering emperor and the uh big wandering emperor six mana emperor um, and then just a bunch of control spells. And it's it's really, really good. Uh, like, it's specifically very good against the mono red deck. And th- I don't know if that's the reason, like, somehow, like, the algorithm is pairing me better in that sense. But I find I have really good game against mono red. So-so matchups against Esper Legends, Esper Midrange. Um, and then... It's just kind of like a 50-50, I think, when it comes to, like, the four-color ramp deck, um, some of the other ramp-style decks. But, um, yeah, there's there's a lot going for this deck. I mean, first and foremost, this is, like, the first time I'm actually casting Sunfalls, and that's a really fun... When you can make it, and you can make it now, finally, you can make it to turn five, turn six to cast a Sunfall. And when you're playing against something like Mono Red or Esper Legends... Yeah, oh my gosh, you're on the ticket to gravy train with that, um, being able to have an incubation token. On top of just things like early game ambitious farmhand, um, I really like that. It helps fuel lay down, uh, yeah, lay down arms. 
Um, and then it also just is a great way to use that in combination with like make disappear to just make your counter spells that much better. So, um, yeah, I, I really like this deck. I'm glad, like, I knew this deck was like one that was on the surface. It had potential. It just needed other cards removed from the format, which we finally have seen. Um, I don't know if standard is, I think standard is better without having fable and mirror baker and it seems fresher and whatnot. Um, I just don't know if this is going to be the thing that's going to give it the lasting power that they're hoping that it will have come fall. Yeah. I have been playing this exact same deck mm-hmm. um, in the five-color standard, or five-color control, or I guess it's more of a ramp than a control. Ramp, yeah. You play you play some Wrath effects, so it, it lives in the, the gray. Um, but couple points here. Number one, this is 100% the deck that I would be playing if I were playing Paper Standard. Yeah. Right? Um, your decisions matter a ton. Uh, your sequencing matters quite a bit. Uh, things like Ambitious Farmhand were completely overshadowed in the previous standard. Like, that card was unplayable into Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Like, ridiculous, Right? Yep. Because you cast a two-mana 1-1 one, one that got a planes into my hand, and then somebody else casts an enchantment that makes treasures and a guy and a guy and a faithful saluting. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just the difference is really stark without it. So to your point, I think it's a better standard because the skill stuff matters. We had talked about Thalia maybe needing to be gone. Now I've kind of landed on Plaza of Heroes being the mistake from that deck. I think that just enables that deck's mana to be silly. Mm -hmm. I've played against four and five color legends decks now, and they're just casting everything. And um, because all these creatures have an ability, like they're just... A counter spell on a stick or, <laughs> you know, Shieldred's ability or whatever. It just kind of becomes uninteresting. Where weirdly playing against mono red is more interesting. Um, and that's not something I expected. Maybe it's just because it's fresh. But I had completely forgotten that Monastery Swiftspear was in standard. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about the second best red one drop of all time, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And it's up there. yeah, and it's just like in standard, but has been completely overshadowed. I would also say this deck is the real coming out party for Bloodthirsty Adversary, which was a good card before, but in this particular shell, in this particular way, can lead to some late game just like monster blowouts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, here my my bad matchup because I played blue white control most of the morning. My experience was the really bad matchup was the mono blue deck. That it was really hard for me to beat what they were doing. The only saving grace was they had to cast their creatures at sorcery speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike the old like you know spectral sailor standard decks, so you still had like an opportunity to counter those. Um, but the matchup in general was not super great. Um, I still think there could have been more of a shakeup. I would have really enjoyed rotation. I think cards like 
bloodthirsty adversary are kind of the exception, not the rule, that a lot of these cards we know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, any other thoughts on like the ramp deck? Is there's not much to say. It's a big dumb ramp deck. It's a ramp deck. Yeah. No, I mean overall, uh, it's nice to see like some of these decks come to the surface. I um, uh. Yeah, I, I guess I my only concern is just, like, what does September feel like? You know, because that's a long summer here of just, like, cool, we got some new standard. I like it, you know, but um, not having an injection of new cards here this summer is going to, I feel like it's going to be rough. And so I'm just kind of tempering my expectations, easing back on playing so much and just hopefully having a decent summer of this blue-way control list and, you know, Maybe playing around with some other things. Yeah, so that's a really good point. Before we get into the Lord of the Rings stuff, I'm kind of mystified at why that just wasn't a standard deck or standard playable format. Or let me try this again. (laughs) A standard playable set because this format seems like the, the cards would have been fine. Is it... Is it just because it's universal? Because we had the D and D set. I was gonna say, like, we had a. I thought I enjoyed the D and D set. I liked what they did with that. It was fun and creative. And I mean, I know a lot of people maybe didn't love it as like a limited set, but what it did for standard was fine. So I'm surprised that they didn't just make this a standard playable set. I just got to be honest with you. I think I would be more excited for standard and the set, <laughs> like. I was kind of having this moment where I was struggling to envision my interaction with the Lord of the Rings set. Like, I'll probably draft it on Arena a bunch just because what else am I going to do? But staring down the barrel of this standard, to your point, and Explore seems even more kind of locked into what it is. Yeah. Right? Now, granted, that might not necessarily be a bad thing when you're talking about a non-rotating format. Uh, Maybe they'll do some nice injections of old cards so we can finally play Lotus Field or, I guess, Lotus Field. I'm trying to think of anything else. (laughs) Maybe some Lotus Field. Uh, But we need something that can prey on the mono green if we're all being real with each other, Mm -hmm, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's hard to not. And maybe this is just good for us, even like. Even though in theory it's not good for us because, you know, we do a weekly show and all these things. But it's like, if they're going to unplug from what we do over the summer, then okay. Like, I kind of get tired of fighting the wave. Yeah. You no, know? for sure. For sure. Um, all right. So, Cameron, let's look at these. This is a list, I believe, whipped up by Reed Duke. And it's just, you know, it was, it was published a couple, three days ago. And it, it's just... Cards that, because Lord of the Rings is modern and legacy legal. I guess everything's legacy legal. Um, But it is not standard legal, as we just said. So he's listed four cards. Arwen, Mortal Queen. Moria, Marauder. Stern, Scolding. And Flowering of the White Tree. So I'm interested in your perspective. Which one of these cards do you think is probably... The most modern playable. Mm, oh man. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think when I look at something like I, I, I'm so far removed from modern that I don't actually know what would be the most modern playable thing. The thing that looks most interesting to me is just um, something like the Arwen, just because it complements so well um, hardened scales, uh, walking ballista, like that sort of thing. Being able to have a counter sort of strategy and this just seems to help you know that sort of deck that's the deck that i'm most familiar with um yeah i i need to do i think some more modern research to actually be a little bit more familiar with the metagame to speak better about like some of these other cards i i think you might be surprised at how unsurprising the modern metagame okay. is <laughs> right like uh Tell me if you've heard these before. Black, red, mid-range. Yeah. Four-color creativity, five-color creativity, hammer time, dredge, amulet, titan. Like, these are the decks that top five the last, you know, Magic Online modern challenge. Right? I. In some ways, it's kind of comforting that once Modern Horizons hit, it, or I should say Modern Horizons 2 hit, mm-hmm. it's stabilized. In other ways, it's incredibly not comforting. Um, but that's what the format is, man. Um, like Merktide is almost certainly the most like, hey, this resembles what an old non-rotating formats decks used to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything else, <laughs> I, I get. I should say that the black red deck. If you just set aside Ragavan being patently absurd, yeah, there's a lot of the old bug decks in that DNA, right? They're mm-hmm. just kind of... You don't need to play Tarmogoyf because <laughs> you could just, you know, cast your opponent's Tarmogoyfs off the top of their deck or whatever. Um, so Stern Scolding is the one that I think is the most interesting and maybe the ca- one of the cards that stopped this from being standard legal. Um, it is one blue for an instant. Counter-target creature spell with power or toughness two or less. So, in a standard sense, I think this card within of itself would stop aggro decks from being playable. Like, if you're against an aggro deck and you're in the blue-white shell that we had just discussed, Mm -hmm. and you cast this once or twice along with having cut down, you are much more efficient than your opponent, right? And this kills a lot of things. Worth pointing out that it is power or toughness, two or less. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with the casting cost. So you can get some pretty, you know, bizarre, like three, four mana kind of, you know, you could get Rafine with this, yeah, right? There's, yeah, there's a ton. Yeah. So I, I think this would be one that would kind of cross the line. But if you are playing like a Murktide deck, um, this is a very, very good defense mechanism if you're playing against a mono white or a hammer time or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, Can we just get this off? This would be amazing in Splinter Twin. And now that I just read those decks, I kind of don't know why we're not doing Splinter Twin. Is it now just the principle of the thing? It must be. Yeah, just like when you look at that list, like what you just said, it's absurd. It's absurd to think that like, Splinter Twin is somehow more powerful than Raghavan? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, really, you could steal. Well, Ragavan, first of all, let's get this out of the way. You're going to play for Ragavan's in Splinter. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. But, yeah. But, like, that deck might be too slow. I don't know. We are probably the worst people at this point to be talking about modern. <laughs> Not that we were modern's biggest cheerleaders in the first place. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do want to say, like, Pioneer, for whatever reason, I think has a lot of the same problems, but I'm more interested in it. And it's hard for me to put my fingers on why. Maybe it's the accessibility of it or something. Maybe, yeah. But no f- like, no fetch lands, man. It's best. <laughs> well, no, because uh, a buddy of mine was telling me that he, you know, he went to the RCQ and he's like, "Hey, you need to come out. You need to be playing these. They're so much fun." And I was like, "Yeah, I think I would just play it, creativity." If I were at a Pioneer event right now, like, it just seems super good. Yeah. Um. A lot of people were talking about Blue-White Control having a terrible record at the RCQs, which, have they played Blue-White in Pioneer and Explorer? It's terrible. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> like, shout out to you guys that are trying to do it, but my God, how? <laughs> um, anyway, I, and I also think like Mono Blue, somebody wrote that Mono Blue Flash had the best record in all the RCQs, and it's like, again, to me, that's not that surprising because that deck could just pull wins out of... It really can, right? Thin air. Just one well-timed Dijin. Curiosity, our favorite... Oh, I'm sorry. Curious Obsession. Curious everyone's obsession. favorite card of all time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, I, if that never was cast on me again, I'd be okay. <laughs> anyway, Cameron, so we'll we'll keep our eyes on this this Lord of the Rings set. It is coming to Arena, which some of the other like supplementary things haven't been, yeah. which seems like terrible branding, it's by the so way. It's <laughs> so confusing, yeah. Like, these Warhammer decks are like apparently a huge hit, but if you're an Arena-only player, you have no clue. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like not in your worldview at all. Anyway, um, I want to get out of the segment, come back, talk about what we've been up to. I, I do want to talk to you about this Apple thing and, and see what your reactions are. All right, Cameron. So here on your list, you've written Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I do want to say this is a movie that I have not seen that I am very excited to see. So I'm going to ask you to make sure you dial down the spoilers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know you usually don't, you don't give a hoot, and you spoil yeah, away, just, but not yeah, today. Just raining spoilers. Uh, no, uh, Spider-Man, very, very good. <laughs> uh, it is a continuation of the, I call the 2018 classic now of Into the, Universe, Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Gwen, uh, Gwanda, I think is what they call her. Uh, they introduced some new characters. Um, Spider-Man 2099 is in it, which is like really, really awesome. Uh, hold on, I got to get my ticket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, it, it, it does a really good job. Everything that I felt like the first movie maybe was lacking as far as like character development for Gwen, character development for Miles's mom, um, those two characters specifically are given a lot more room to kind of grow and develop as characters, uh, which just helps overall with the arc. Um, this is a movie that's actually been split into two parts. So the next part comes out in March. Um, so it's kind of doing the Kill Bill thing or uh, Matrix Revolutions. Uh, so, you know, it's that sort of thing where there's a definitive kind of 
here's the the midpoint break of this two part story, um, which is both great and very unsatisfying. Um, but that is not a knock against the movie. It's just more of like, I'm impatient, <laughs> but it's a great movie. Absolutely worthwhile to go see, uh, the Sony animation studio that is in charge of this, whatever, if you liked that animation style, what they did in the first movie, it, they upped their game in every single way, uh, for this, where like every single universe like has a different sort of animation style to it, which, um, is just super subtle and just beautiful and all of that um it's just incredible and i think it's actually one that would translate better for the big screen so i would tell you to go see this in a big screen just because some of those details just you may not get even with a 4k hd television you want like that big 60 foot screen experience well i won't have to go to the theater cameron because i'll be wearing a 60 foot experience <laughs> nice transition man <laughs> Uh, I wasn't even ready to transition, but you like the the opportunity was too good. I, I mean, I'm gonna 100% see this. Um, if I'll be able to see it in the theaters, another thing. I still haven't seen Guardians. I still haven't seen whatever the third Ant Man one was. You know, like yeah. I'm sure I probably would already have forgotten it. Like I've I've never heard a thing about it. Yep. Good or bad, right? Yep. Um. But I will 100% see this. Though you just saying that made me realize I don't think I even saw the most recent Matrix movie. Oh, once again, not missing much. <laughs> it's okay. hard to make a splash these days, you know. Uh, I I do know that. Yeah, not like we talked about this when we talked about Succession. TV right? seems like where a lot of the writers are. Um, so Cameron, I I saw a bunch of the chatter online. I was at work working. Mm-hmm. And so then I watched the presentation later, but I had all the baggage of what people were saying, both good and bad, about this visor. Um, how did it land with you? Which, by the way, it should be said that almost everybody that I've watched on YouTube has said that it does do the things that it says yeah. they can do. Yeah. In kind of... I think there's a couple things to note. One I found was interesting is that this is like the first time that like the people talking on stage, Tim Cook and and the Apple plethora, you didn't actually see them using the device. You didn't see him putting that thing on stage the way that Steve Jobs pulled out the iPad or the iPhone or anything. So like that was kind of an interesting thing as far as like, how does it make you look in the world? (laughs) And that was the thing that I think was the detractor for me. If I'm going to, if I'm putting all the negatives first here, um, in classic Apple fashion, the way they make people kind of live with this device either seemed kind of sad or just out of place. Like the guy wearing it and taking pictures of his kids and then sitting and just having like this weird glazed over expression of like, this is the perfect device for divorced dads. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it just felt weird. Um, some real minority report vibes in that yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, So there's like some things that like the way that Apple kind of presented the device I had to I just choke back a little bit of like a like just in classic Apple sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But after reading about everybody who's actually experienced and used the device, um, it's cool. Like I mean, like it, all the hardware, the thing that Apple is actually really, really good at, the hardware um, seems to be there, and I think it is going to spark all these other companies like Facebook and some like maybe these other startups to 
actually maybe double down on what VR is. Um, but man, talk about like the, the way it looks. It looks like Ready Player One. Like the device, I mean, everything about it makes me think it's Ready Player One. Yeah. The thing that was interesting for me is these are the first, This they're, they seem to be the first company to me to make a use case for this is how it is as a professional device as well as an entertainment device, right? Where So I am a very strong believer in the power of what this technology could be. I really have enjoyed experiences in VR, but obviously one of the huge problems is it very much takes you out of the world. Um, and like when you're like me and you have a little kid, that's kind of a huge pain in the butt, right? Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, it's not exactly the most seamless thing in the world. Right now it takes a lot of setup and you got to have a lot of wires. You got to have, and like, for example, the PSVR two is theoretically incredibly powerful, but it's like, I don't know what the software is and I don't want to drop $600 on a big question mark. Right. Um, and when they market these things, they market the quest, whatever they seem to be like trying to market it to what they think people will want, which is usually a lot of first person shooters. When, if you're a person that uses a VR a lot, that kind of experience is actually kind of uninteresting. Um, and, and when I say violence, I'm not talking about like the actual graphical content, anything that makes you move your head violently in a violent motion. Mm-hmm. So like an off-road racer, for example, is terrible in VR. Some of the best VR experiences I've had have been on the Google Earth VR Mm, mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm. You know, and you're just flying over a city. Like, that's cool. But these other things, I'm like, whenever, you know, PSVR is, hey, the new Gran Turismo is great in VR. It's like, man, I'm just going to throw up, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, So, but when they're doing this thing of like, here's how you watch a movie. Here's how you search the web. Like... Exactly. Yes. This is, these are the things. And, um, now that I've transitioned to a job where I'm on a PC all the time and I, I have two monitors at my work and it's not enough. Like I need more because mm-hmm. frequently I'm working with three to four Excel sheets at the same time. Uh, I, I thought, wow, that would be really convenient to have that device in concert with a keyboard and mouse. Right. And they did mm-hmm. show that. Um, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is I would love it for a, as an entertainment slash productivity device, but I just think video games, the kind of video game I like to play, I'm not interested in playing in VR. Is that fair? Yeah, I, it, we're not there yet, right? I think it, it, it is a different sort of experience um, than, yeah, your traditional PlayStation 2 through PlayStation 5 era of video games, right? Yeah. Yeah, like... I don't want to play Overwatch no, in VR. No. Like, I find it confusing to watch somebody else play. Put me <laughs> in that world? No, thanks. Which, by the way, is I saw a game trailer for Overwatch 2. Is the single player canceled or not? I've heard... <laughs> I, I, I haven't paid attention. I couldn't tell you. Okay. Well, anyway... They had a big headline that was canceled. I watched the trailer today, and they're like, and story missions. I was like, wait, so what are we talking about here? Uh So anyway, there's a lot of video game stuff to talk about, too, at some point, Cameron. Like, all these video games that are coming out got announced. (laughs) We're getting glutted, right? 
But the most important thing is clearly Dragon's Dogma 2. So, Cameron, I talked with you about this before. Um, Starfield looks like it's going to own your life and is everything that you could ever want. Mm -hmm. How much time are you going to spend customizing your starship? I'm waiting for the third-party skins that you're going to put on so I can make everything look like Star Trek. Yeah. Oh, that's happening. Oh, you you know it is. Yeah, the mods are coming, dude. (laughs) All right, Cameron, if someone would like to get a hold of you and uh, talk to you about their uh, Mount Everest of bridge members and their Star Trek uh, ship, where could they find you? (laughs) That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I'm Matt Curtis now. Our official show feed is at SpikeBeatMTG. We'll check you guys next week.